best relationship is still messy. So think with me. Inside of your best relationship, have you ever felt misunderstood? Um, Have you ever felt like you have not been heard? Have you felt like that they have said that they would do something and then they didn't do it? In your best relationship, have they said they would stop doing something and they didn't stop? Um, Have you ever held a grudge in your best relationship? Have you ever been lonely even when things were going okay? Um, Have you ever doubted the depth of their commitment or maybe the depth of their love? Have you ever wished that you just didn't have to give anymore? I mean, were you just exhausted from giving? In your best relationship, have you ever felt used? Have you ever thought this, if I had only known? And we're talking about your best relationship. And as we talk about this, we're talking about if you're married, we can talk about spouses. This can apply to your relationship with children, a relationship um, with a brother or sister, a family member. It could be ju- it could be a co-worker. Any relationship, these things apply. And we're talking here about your best relationship. And so suddenly, perhaps it makes just a little bit more sense why the Bible includes so many comments about forgiving, about being kind, about being patient. Because God knows relationships this side of heaven at best will be messy and they will require a ton of work. And about this point, you may be saying, gee, thank you, Big H, for being so encouraging. You're a great pastor. So I searched the internet to try to find maybe something that would represent the best of our relationships. Even in the best of our relationships, you might experience this. McKinley's going to put that on the screen for us. Women be like, nope, I ain't mad. Boom. Yeah, you know, you know. So if this represents our best relationships then, let's ask this question, then what about the many, 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 many relationships that aren't our best, that are exponentially difficult? What about those? When we look at our relationships, especially the ones where we have bad blood right now, we don't have to look far usually. I mean, they're right there with us. They're in our thoughts a big part of the day. And most of us inside those relationships, we have located the problem. That person is thoughtless. (laughs) That person is gruff. That person is selfish. That person is not patient. They are not kind. They are arrogant. And they never, never, never admit when they're wrong. And I'd have to say, your, your evaluation may just very well be right on. They are inherently it. are sinful, and I probably would have to say true. You nailed it. But unfortunately, so are we. I mean, the real problem, at least... The starting place, as we look at the real problem, is not them. It is inside of us. 
every one of us at some point have turned things upside down in relationships and inside out. We have made what we want for ourselves and we have made what we want from someone else more important to us than God himself. In that situation, we have made ourselves king and we have made God and everyone around us um, our subjects or our servants. And the Bible has a simple word for that when we do that. The Bible calls that sin. When we fire, God is boss, and it's when we decide to become our own boss. That's sin. As soon as we do this, as soon as we do this, then our selfish desires inside of us begin to rule. And they don't just rule us, they also rule our relationships. And then big trouble comes and big conflict follows. So in this series, we're hoping that we can learn from the words of really three main writers. I just said three and put up two fingers. <laughs> three. Three main writers, and they are all inspired by God. And so, in fact, the first of those is God himself. We're going to learn from the words of Jesus. And then the other two, God has inspired, and God really told them what to write down. And so as we read what these other two have written, we're going to be reading what God has inspired, and they wrote it down. We're going to read it from their personalities, and that's exactly the way God designed this. And it's from two people we're going to also learn from one, one guy, his name is Paul. The other guy, his name is James. And they have so much to teach us about bad blood, especially for us right now during the holidays. So this morning, we're going to start out with this guy named Paul. And he's going to give us some insight here about this fact that the problem is not just them around us, but a big part of that problem is me on the inside. And we're going to start with Romans chapter 7, uh, the first part here, verse 21. Here's what Paul is saying. He says, I have discovered this principle of life. I want to pause here just a moment, this principle of life. So that word principle means he's discovered something. God told him, hint, hint. Discovered something. Uh, a principle is kind of like a natural law. It's kind of like gravity. Um, this principle that he has discovered, he's saying it's like gravity. It's there. Whether you ask for it or not, gravity's there. Whether you like it or not, gravity is there. Whether you believe in gravity or not, it's still there and it still functions. You don't have to believe in it. It's just there. It's a principle. It's like a natural law. We cannot escape the effect of this principle in our lives. And in this case, it's the principle here of sin in our relationships. We can't escape it. Paul says, I've discovered this principle of life. And he goes on, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, he says. Now, this is interesting because we're not talking about a guy here who is rebelling actively against God, who's just saying, God, get out of here. I'm going to do my own thing, and I run off. He's not running away from God. Paul says, I love God's law. I love Jesus. I'm pursuing Jesus with all my life. But this principle 
is still harming me, and I love God. I love Jesus. He goes on, verse 23. But there's another power within me that is at war with my mind, Paul says. Now, this word he uses, the word war, that is powerful. I mean, it gives us this idea of this bloody battle inside our lives. It's this battle between our desire to follow Jesus, to do what is right in God's eyes. That, and it's a battle against this sin that is inside of my life. And this sin is fighting against my desire to do what is right in God's eyes. And Paul says, I am struggling here. I'm in a battle. I'm in a war for my mind and my life. And he goes on. He says, this power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. He uses the word slave. Uh, another word we could use there would be prisoner. Men. Here's a question. Men. Have you ever hurt your wife with kind of like a sharp reply? You just said something real quick and it was sharp and you knew as soon as it came out of your mouth, you knew that was hurtful. Or ladies, have you ever kind of mumbled something under your breath, kind of a sarcastic response? You were wanting to put him in his place and so you knew that he heard you you wanted him to hear you, and you also knew it was hurtful. So for both of us, after we think about that, after you thought about that, knowing that it was hurtful, for both of you, knowing that it was wrong, perhaps you promised yourself, you were like, okay, I, I, that, that was wrong. I, I don't want to be like that. I, I'm not going to do that again. I'm going I'm to be careful. I'm not going to do that. I don't want to hurt them that way. And then days later, weeks later, you turn around and you do it again. Me too. Me too. And you say to yourself, I can't believe I did that again. I said I wouldn't do it. I'd do it. And that's what Paul is saying. That's what it feels like to be a slave, to be a prisoner to sin. Uh, uh, because a prisoner, they've lost their freedom. They've lost it. And Paul says, I've lost my freedom. Sin just, it takes over. He goes on, verse 24, he says, the result, oh, what a, what a miserable person I am. And he asks this question, who will free me from this life dominated by sin and death? Paul says, who, who's going to set me free? Who is going to rescue me? Paul is saying, because I have proven to myself over and over and over again, I cannot rescue myself. And the word itself, rescue, means that, that we are hopeless. We are hopeless unless we get some help from the outside. We're hopeless. We need to be rescued. Here's what Paul is saying. Our biggest problem is not that person. It's not those people. Our biggest problem, if we were to step back and look at it, our biggest problem begins inside of us. And we can't fix that on our own. And Paul says it's true for all of us. That thing inside of me that takes control, that thing will tear away at all of my relationships every time. 
So what is that thing? Let's look at that thing. That thing inside of us, I think we can put a word on it. We can call it self-centeredness. Self-centeredness. When I reject God in any way, on any level, I take God off the throne. Now, it's not because God is so weak that he just lets me take him and move him around however I want. No, that's not the case. God, with infinite power, chooses to be involved in the lives of people who allow him to. He doesn't demand it. And so at any time, I can reject God and I can push him out of the way, take him off the throne of my life. And that seat, that seat will not remain in empty because the evil, that sin inside of me will force me to take that seat for myself. And suddenly, in any situation, when I bump God out of the way and I take the seat, I suddenly start to look at a situation that I'm facing, a relationship that I'm in, a relationship, a person, a coworker, my boss, whatever it might be. I begin to look at that person with this attitude. I start saying, hmm, what's best for me? In this relationship, in this moment, with this person, what's best for me? What's best for me in this situation? Now, if I were to leave God on the throne, I would be asking a different question. I would say, well, what does God want to do in us, this relationship? What does God want to do in this relationship? Or I might say, what does God want to do through us? in our relationship. You see, God designed relationships to be others-centered, not self-centered. The self-centeredness inside of us will bypass God's plan every single time in a relationship. And to make it doubly difficult, both of you, are struggling with the very same thing inside of yourselves. True for me too. You're frustrated with that person, that friend, that coworker, that husband, that wife. And in that moment, God nudges you. And he's just like, hey, listen, listen, really? Slow down there. You need to be gentle. He nudges you and says, you need to be kind. And then you give God a big elbow and you say, but God... You, you heard what they said. You elbow him, you knock him off the throne, and you take the throne, and you say, you heard what they said. I thought that I was important to them. And you think this, well, forget that. I, I'm just going to do what I want. I, I'm just going to do what's going to make me happy. And you may not say it out loud, but you think this, all righty then. Well, you just go ahead. You just go do whatever you're going to do. And I'm going to do what makes me feel better. And that is self-centeredness inside. Which is very closely related to this other self that's in there called self-rule. Now, when God's loving wise leadership in our lives is replaced with this thing called self-rule, then other people 
the ones who are in your life, they become your subjects. Other people become your servants. You expect them to do your bidding. You expect them to bow to or to agree to your control, self-rule. So when a moment of difficulty strikes in a relationship, if you lean towards self-rule, then your response is to take control of the situation. Your response is to take control of that person, which means if you're trying to take control of that person, here's what's happening. You're actually pushing God off of their throne. And you're trying to sit not just on your throne, but you're trying to sit in as God on their throne as well. Self-rule. Perhaps you try to rule them with being dominant, using criticism. Or maybe you're dominant using demands. You're demanding from them. And maybe that person pushes back from that. And maybe they try to control you. And maybe their weapons are different. Maybe they have a weapon of isolation and they push you out emotionally. They cut you off emotionally. Or maybe that person uses a weapon of silence and they just don't talk. I, I had a friend years ago. Um, yes, I've had very few friends, but I did have one years ago. And this friend, uh, his wife, actually used isolation, cut him off emotionally, pushed him away, and silent. She would not talk to him for weeks. Some of you are like, that's heaven. No, no, that's not. She wouldn't talk to him for weeks or months until he finally would give in to her demands. And so we, we try to dominate people. Sometimes we try to control them with criticism and our words and, and, and our rules. Sometimes we try to control them with isolation or silence. But God did not design relationships to work like that. He designed them for two people who are controlled by God. Two people who are submitted to God. But when we introduce self-rule... We try to make the other person our subject. We try to control the other people. And in our minds, we're thinking, if you really loved me, you would do the things that please me, that make me happy. And when we see life and relationship that way, there will always be war. Self-centeredness self-rule. And there is another evil lurking inside of me, lurking inside of you too. And this one's called self-sufficiency. When we reject God as our boss, moment by moment, because we kind of do that, we get drunk on this whole independence thing. We think this, that I, I don't really need God. I mean, okay, yes, yes, yes. I I need God to get to heaven. I can't do that on my own. I need God for heaven. But I don't really need him in my life moment by moment. I mean, we say, God, I, really, I, I, I have this. You get me to heaven, but I've got this living thing. But listen, we'll, we'll make a deal. If I run into a problem, God, I'll call you, and you can come, and you can bail me out, you can help me out, you can get me out 
I'll call you and you can come to my aid. But listen, God, until then, listen, I've got it. I don't really need you. The reality is, God should be on our throne moment by moment, not just when a problem comes. And wait, there's more. It gets worse. God should be on your throne moment by moment, and he has given you that other person, the one you're having a problem with, he's given them you as well. He gave that person to you. You need God, yes, he designed you that way, and you need others. He designed you that way. I'm, I'm going to give you a very tough reality, and I need you to understand what we're teaching through this series is something I'm learning from a mentor. I, I am on this journey along with you. I have not perfected this. I am on this journey with you. Listen to this stuff. You might need to buckle that theater belt. Listen to this. The reality is this. He's designed you not just to need God, but to need others. This person and you. When you start emotionally moving away from this person that God has in your life, when you start emotionally moving away from that person, you are moving away from one of God's principal ways of providing for you, of changing you, of growing you. When you move away emotionally from that person, you're not just moving away from that person, you're also moving away relationally from God. This person is not God. But when you move away from them, you're moving away from one of God's ways of changing, growing, stretching you. We have that attitude where we say, listen, I, I'm glad for the friendship. Listen, I'm glad it's there. But if I need your help, I'll ask you for it. I like our friendship. I just don't need your help. I don't need you in my life. That's tough. That is a tough statement. Oh, but wait. There's another evil lurking inside of us. It's called self-righteousness. We all have this tendency. It's a natural tendency to take God's standard of what is good, what is right, what is true, and to kind of dismiss that, to put it off to the side. And instead, we set ourselves up as the standard. In other words, I become my own standard. I'm the standard. I define it. I describe it. And I say, it's based upon what I do and what I want, what I like. And I say, okay, I look at the other person and I think to myself, I am better than you. I'm better than you. I'm living better than you. I am more righteous than you. Do you know why I know this? Because I'm meeting 
my standard, and you're not. And I'm going to work very, very hard to make sure that you are very aware of your sin, and I'm going to help you see it. Meanwhile, we're not looking at our own heart, and we're not owning our own weaknesses and our own flaws, our own problems. In that moment, I become overly sensitive to your flaws, and I I take my flaws and I kind of brush them, sweep them behind the door, and don't pay attention to those. I overestimate how good I am, and I overestimate how bad you are. That's what I do. But that's not God's design for a relationship. God has designed relationship between, to be between two humble people who acknowledge, yes, I have weaknesses, and yes, I have sin, and yes, I need grace. But the self-righteous person, they, they, they don't do that. You know what they say or they think? They think, you gotta, you got to be kidding me. After all I've done for you, th- this is the way you treat me. It's about this time that you're probably saying, Harley, please stop this. My toes can take no more stomping. I'm hurting. Okay. Okay. But we got one more self. We got to we got to throw one more in there. There's another self lurking inside of us and it's this, self satisfaction. Now this is a big one. When you begin to believe that satisfaction and fulfillment in life can be found in any way on any level apart from God. We then begin to move in one of two directions. Here's the first one. Now, we're not picking on people just simply to help us understand this. This first direction you may move. Let's just say, ladies, let's talk about a marriage. Let's say you're married. God has you in that relationship. You're in that relationship. If you lean towards being self-sufficient, meaning I can somehow find some satisfaction in life apart in any way, on any level, apart from God, then we lean in one of two directions. Here's one. You may say in that relationship with your husband, you might take the energy and the emotional investment and the time investment that you would place in the relationship with your husband, and you may choose when something goes wrong you may take that energy and that time and that emotional investment away from your husband and you may invest it into your girlfriends, to your friends. Or you may take that that investment that should be going into your husband and you may take that and place it into your children. Or you might take that emotional investment that should be going into your husband and you may just place that on another person, maybe another man, you may place that, you may take the investment from your husband and place it with another man. 
Same thing can happen for you, man. You could do the very same thing. The investment you should be making into your wife, you could take that and place that into another person that's not your wife. And we can do that in any relationship, a relationship with a coworker, a family member. We can remove our investment and take it somewhere else. Now, so that we're evenly picking on everybody, men. There's a second way. So if we are going to be self-sufficient, meaning I can have satisfaction somehow in my life on any level, in any way, apart from God, then we might not take the first way. We might take the second way. We might take satisfied, more satisfaction. Uh, we might find uh, more of our needs being met, not with your wife, you could find more satisfaction at work. It's not a person, but you could invest more in that thing, that work, that job, that career. You may not be satisfied here at home, but you can be satisfied at work, and you can be happy at work. Or, or, you could take more out of that relationship and find your satisfaction in hunting even. It could happen. Or you could find more satisfaction and, and, uh, from just like college football or even from baseball or in the shop, behind the house, working on a hobby. You name the area. It doesn't matter. If you are dissatisfied in your relationship, then you can find satisfaction somewhere else. Not talking about a relationship, but in this case, talking about a non-relationship, something that can bring you satisfaction. In both cases, so ladies can do the same thing. They can find satisfaction in something. And it doesn't have to be a marriage. It can be any relationship in our life. But in both cases, you stop investing in the relationship, you stop investing there, and you begin to invest more into someone else or something else. And you might think to yourself, this is not what I expected in a relationship. I, I mean, if I had known that this was going to happen, I would have never even have started that relationship. Wow. I mean, there is a lot of self lurking inside of ourselves that God describes as sin, as evil. When our love for God is replaced by self-love, something happens. We begin to see the people around us as obstacles keeping us from achieving our goals, or we see them as someone that we can use to meet our goals. We see them as someone who is keeping us from being happy, or we see them as someone that we can use to be happy. And it's all bad, bad blood. Our first problem as we look at this, 
The first problem we need to look at is not them. The first problem we need to look at is inside of us. It's not the outside. It's not that other person. Because in most cases, on some level, we have turned God's plan upside down and inside out on the two most important things that he commanded us. God said this himself. Jesus said, the two most important things are this. Love God and use the gifts I've given you to love other people around you. But we get it backwards. We get it upside down. We get it inside out. We end up loving the gifts and using the people to get more. Here's how that looks. Sometimes a, a parent can crave a good reputation, and they use their kids maybe to help them get that good reputation. Or maybe spouses, they crave intimacy, so maybe they manipulate the other spouse in order to get it. Or people who crave success, they can see other people around them as stepping stones toward that success or an obstacle keeping them from success. People who crave comfort and security, uh, they, they love easy relationships, but they are so annoyed by difficult ones. People who crave control, they are threatened by strong personalities and strong people, and they are drawn toward people that they view as weak. People who crave things, anything, they gravitate toward people who will not tell them no. Do you see? When something other than God rules my heart, when, when things around me become more important than God, all of my relationships suffer. Even when it's a relationship itself that you might make more important to God, that relationship will still suffer. And this is what the evil inside of us does. It, it blinds us to our dependence upon, uh, upon God, and, and it turns us inward, that self part. And then the result my relationships with all other people are all just different ways for me to get what I want. But there's hope. Even for a relationship dope like me, there's hope. I don't have to stay like that. And my friends, this series that we're going to teach has the potential to help you grow towards a relationship the way God desires it to be. Now let's end with what Paul had to say as he ended this. Just as he had just asked the question, is there anyone who can rescue me from being a slave to this evil that's inside of me? He asks that question, and then he answers it in verse 25. He says, the answer, he says, thank God. The answer 
is in Jesus Christ our Lord. It is a fact. There is sin in us. And on this side of heaven, there will always be sin in me. But we don't have to let it rule. Here's another fact. We are no match for the sin inside of us. And that sin will win every single time I do it by myself. I am no match for the sin inside of me. But that sin inside of me is no match for Jesus. And here's a big point right here. Don't miss this. All of our problems in relationships have everything to do with sin. Their sin, my sin, everything to do with sin. But also this, all of our potential in relationships has everything to do with Jesus. And he is right there with you. God is not off in the distance just throwing you out there saying, hey, work it out. Do what I want you to do, work it out. He's not just watching you suffer through relationships. He is right there, and he is willing and ready to walk you through. He's waiting for you to be willing and ready. And I believe as you begin to trust him, you will eventually find the courage to trust that person. You will find the courage for you to move towards them instead of away from them. Now, I know we did not give you many steps this morning, but I do want to leave you with two clear steps that you can take. We, we, we just kind of took a great big spotlight and we, we placed it on part of the problem. But I want to give you two steps before we leave. Here's the first one. Will you please check my blog this week? I've got a couple of posts that are going to post this week. Will you check my blog? And here's why. It's at StuttgartHarvestChurch.org. Dot com is our church website. Dot org is the blog site. It's not because I'm a great blogger, but here is what you're going to find if you will check the blog this week. Because I know some of you, we're going to answer a great big question that you are asking this morning based upon what we've been teaching. You, you were thinking, some of you, but wait, Harley, listen, what if that person has hurt me? I mean, they really did hurt me. You might say, fine, 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 Harley, I can admit, yes, yes, I have bad in me, I can admit that, yes, I'm there, but I have been wounded, I have been hurt, Harley, what about that? And we're going to begin to answer that question this week on the blog, will you please visit that? I'll also post a link on Facebook. Here's step two, don't miss Step two, because it's super simple, but it's important. This is it. Come back next week. Don't miss. I, I mean, don't miss. Allow God to begin to navigate you through bad blood. And I would encourage, I would take it one step further. I would encourage you to have somebody sitting beside you. Because they need to be encouraged as well. We all struggle here. 
in different ways on different levels, but we all struggle. So here's the deal. Will you just simply read the blog this week, and then will you come back here next week and have somebody sitting beside you who can be encouraged? That's the step. Let's pray. Father, please forgive us for the times that we have used relationships to meet our own needs. Forgive us for working so hard to force that other person into our desires. Forgive us for focusing so much of our time on their shortcomings. Jesus, help us to look inward this week. Help us to see how self inside of me drives so much of my relationship behavior. Help me to recognize the moments that that I push you off your throne And God, I try to place myself on the throne and I try to make you serve me and I try to make others serve me. God, help us to slow down this week and just simply pay attention to our relationships and to keep you clearly on the throne of our lives. Thank you for not giving up on us, Jesus. And right now, we celebrate you and we worship you. Amen.